34 days until Christmas. You ready? <laughs> it's going to be here before we know about it, but this is my favorite part, to be honest, the, the anticipation, the waiting. I love uh, listening to Christmas music, watching Christmas movies, making Christmas cookies, everything involved with the, the, the buildup and the excitement. Uh, when I was a kid, around this time of year, we would receive something that would start getting me really excited for Christmas, the J.C. Penney Christmas catalog. Anybody remember those? Oh yeah, and they would appear, it would appear on our kitchen table like it was magic. I have no idea where it would come from. It'd just be there. I'd, I'd pick it up and I'd hold it in my hands, and light would kind of illuminate from it. Angels would be singing around that kitchen. And then I'd go and I'd find a pen and I'd sit down and I'd, I'd begin to smell the pages. Anybody else do that? Am I just weird? Uh, but then I would begin to circle the things that I wanted, the things that I wanted to add onto my Christmas list. I'd write my name in big capital letters right next to it so my parents could see that it's for me, that I want it. I started to get a little bit more strategic as I got older. I would invite my parents to sit next to me as I looked through that catalog so that they could see me circling and writing my name next to the things that they wanted. So they'd had that visual reminder of the things that I wanted. I'd even begin to leave that catalog open to the page of something that I really wanted that was circled my name right next to it. I'd leave it on the kitchen table for them to see, the, the coffee table in the living room, the dining room table. I'd leave it in the bathroom sometimes, you know. <laughs> Got to read something. Um, but I, I, there was something inside of me that was fearful that my parents would forget, that, that, that they wouldn't remember what I wanted. And I'd wake up on Christmas morning and I would not receive a gift or I wouldn't receive what I asked for. Have you ever been fearful of God forgetting you? Because sometimes we give God our list, right? We make this list and we circle what we want. We write our name in big letters right next to it. We place it in his hands, praying, dear God, this is what I need. And then we wait and we wait and we wait. We wait in the silence, that kind of waiting, that kind of anticipation, it doesn't always feel good, does it? We wait in the circumstance that we have been sitting in, the, the circumstance that we have been living in, the circumstance that we have been facing, hoping that God is eventually going to respond, hoping that God is going to remember our name. We wait listening, hoping for an answer. And the silence and the waiting, it can sometimes tempt us to just give up. Sometimes tempt us to believe that God, he has forgotten about us. God, he's probably just overlooked us. Uh, have you been there? Are, are you in a circumstance like that today? Well, what can we do to remember God's faithfulness, even while we're waiting. How, how can we continue to be faithful to God even as we are stuck in the silence? What can we do to, to help us not give up on prayer? 
even when we feel overlooked, even when we feel forgotten. These next few weeks, we're going to go be, be going through different parts of the Christmas story. I love the Christmas story. Uh, when I was a children's pastor here, I would always tell the kids, man, the Christmas story, it is epic. It's like this huge journey, all these different pieces moving for this baby, this Messiah, Jesus to come and be born for us. So each week we're, we're going to highlight different people that have a part in the Christmas story. People that are sometimes overlooked, sometimes even forgotten. People that are seemingly insignificant. But when you take the time to look closer at their role in the Christmas story, you begin to realize how significant they are. We're going to see how, how God used everyday ordinary people just like us to be a key part of his plan and of his purpose. People that maybe felt like they were forgotten as they waited on God, fearful that they would never receive his blessing. Many of you know uh, the Bible, it is split into two different parts. The, the first part is the Old Testament. The second part is the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament the beginning of the Bible, it's all about the history, the creation story. It's all about God communicating and directing his people, the, the foundation being laid. The New Testament, uh, another layer to that foundation, it's about one person. It's about Jesus, the new covenant. From the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, in that time period, there's 400 years separating them. 400 years. You know what the last thing written in the Old Testament was? Here's what it says. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. God, he, he makes this promise, promise of sending a prophet, a promise of, of sending someone that is gonna prepare people for the coming Messiah, the, Jesus. He makes this promise in the Old Testament, and then he stops talking. For 400 years, he doesn't say a word to anyone. Uh, that time period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's known as the 400 silent years. But can you imagine the Jewish people during that time wondering where God was? Many things happened in those 400 years. Things that were good, things that were bad, circumstances that the people didn't know what to do with, that they didn't know how to live in. The people, they were desperate for God to remember him during that time, to not pass them by, to turn his face toward them. You can imagine how insignificant maybe they began to feel, constantly crying out to God, eager for him to respond, eager for him to step into the circumstance that they were facing, eager for the silence to end, eager for the, the waiting to end, eager for the prophet to come, for the Messiah to come. Eager for God to communicate with them again and give them some form of hope. The Old Testament, it ends with that promise. And the book of Luke in the New Testament, it begins with that very same promise. And it's here at the beginning of the book of Luke where we find two seemingly insignificant people that play a significant role in God's plan for the coming Messiah. 
Two people that would have a a major part in fulfilling the promise that God made at the end of the Old Testament. The same promise that the nation of Israel had been waiting 400 years for. The story, it begins early in the morning with these two seemingly insignificant people. They're they're a married couple. In my mind, I, I see Elizabeth, the wife, laying on her bed. I see her weeping as her husband, Zachariah, sits right next to her. As the tears stream down her face, he's doing his best to comfort her, maybe gently rubbing her back. Life had not been what they had expected. Uh, They had been married for a long time and and things weren't going the way they had planned. They were godly people, but they were living in heartache. They were living in ridicule since they had been married. Facing a circumstance that they did not ask for, a circumstance that they didn't want to live any longer, feeling this hole that they wanted God to fill. Here's how Luke introduces this married couple in the Bible. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were good people, godly people. They they loved God. They followed his commands. They were righteous in the sight of God. This doesn't mean they were sinless. But it means they held God's commands at a high standard. They they believed in his promises. They did what was necessary for their sins to be forgiven at that time. Not only that, Zechariah, he was a priest, a very honorable position to hold. So why would this good couple, these godly people, these good people, a priest and his wife, why in the world would they be struggling What exactly could make them feel insignificant? What could cause so much heartache in their lives? Here's what Luke continues to write. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. During that time, having a child, it was important. Your children, that that was how your family legacy, your heritage, your name, how how it was all carried on. So in those days, in that culture, it was shameful for people to not have kids. It was often viewed as a punishment from God in that culture. Almost as if there was a specific reason God was not blessing them with children. A reason they were not receiving. So you can imagine the pain that Zechariah and Elizabeth endured. The looks that they received from people in their village, the insults people probably voiced publicly to them to embarrass them both, the shame that they were made to feel, the the tears that they shed together in their home. I imagine Zachariah and Elizabeth, I imagine they had prayed for a child for years and years and years. They, They prayed asking God to remember them, asking God to please fill this hole that they're experiencing. But at the beginning of the story, we find Elizabeth still without a child. Now in old age, probably well past her childbearing years. Despite being righteous in God's eyes, they had lived all their married lives, bearing the stigma of childlessness, suffering from the insults of others, the public disgrace. For years, they endured the private tears as well as the public sneers. 
For years, their, their prayer it had gone unanswered. Now in old age, maybe they had given up on that prayer. No longer praying for a child, believing that there's no way that prayer could ever be answered. Why even try? How could it? She and Zechariah, they're both so old now that that blessing is just not something that they can receive now. Had God forgotten them? Had God overlooked them? Now they prayed for comfort. They prayed for peace in the midst of that circumstance. Have you been there? Have you asked God, where are you? Do you not see me, God? Is your face not directed towards me? Do you not see this circumstance that I'm in? I'm waiting for you. Elizabeth, she lies quietly weeping, stuck childless in this circumstance. Maybe she daydreams about what it would have been like to have a child running around their house, a a child filling their lives with joy and laughter. Eventually, Zachariah, as he sits next to her, he he sees the light creeping in through the window shutters. He leans in close to his wife and he says, I'm sorry, I have to go. Zachariah, he stands up, he begins to prepare his things and and then then he begins to walk towards the door. He, He turns back and he looks at his wife as she lays crying on the bed, silently, motionless. Zachariah, he says, I'll be back later. No response. He opens the door. He reluctantly shuts it behind him and then begins to walk towards Jerusalem. During that time, priests like Zechariah, they, they had to serve at the temple in Jerusalem different times of the year. During that time, there were 20,000 priests. That's a lot of priests. So priests, they took turns throughout the years um, or throughout the year leaving their village where they lived um, and and traveling to Jerusalem to serve in the temple. Zechariah and his wife, they lived about four and a half miles from Jerusalem. So he had quite the walk that day. I, I wonder what he was thinking about as he walked towards the temple in Jerusalem. Was he continuing to pray for comfort for his wife? Was he continuing to pray for comfort for himself? Even in their disappointment, They remained faithful to God. Once Zechariah arrives to the temple, the the temple was on a hill, right in the middle of Jerusalem, representing God's presence in the midst of his people, that he was there, he was available to them. Zechariah, when he makes his way up to the temple, eventually as he gets to the temple, he's going to find out what his assignment is for that day, how he will be serving in the temple. Here's what the Bible says. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all assembled worshipers were praying outside. So there was kind of like a lottery system, drawing straws or something like that. And you would, they would find out who serves where like that. Zachariah, he receives the most important assignment. Burning the incense in the temple. That's a once in a lifetime opportunity with 20,000 priests. There's some priests that would never get to participate in doing that. And this 
process. It, it was done during what was called the hour of incense. It would happen in the morning and then again in the evening. It was like a time of prayer. Uh, the people, they would gather outside. The people, they could not go into the temple. Uh, they would gather outside in a courtyard and they would be praying. The priests are the only ones who could go into the temple, into the holy place. Um, and so Zechariah, I, I imagine him amazed at this chance that he has received, maybe even a little nervous. This is a big deal. This is important. He does not want to mess this up. The, the first thing maybe that comes to his mind is, is trying to think of all of the steps that he's going to have to do. There's three specific things that he's going to have to do during this hour of incense that he's responsible for. So maybe in his mind, he's thinking, okay, I got to remember all of these things. The first thing he has to remember is as he gets into the temple, as he gets into the holy place, he will begin to pray. He'll lift up prayers of repentance, of confession, of thanksgiving, prayers for the coming Messiah, prayers for the peace of Jerusalem, prayers for the nation, for the family, for the salvation, prayers for the coming kingdom. As he prays, he would be walking towards what was called the altar of incense. As he gets to that altar of incense, he would sprinkle the incense onto that altar, which had burning coals on it. And the smoke from the incense would rise up into the air. And that smoke, it represented the people's prayers to God. And this is why it was such an honorable and important assignment. That smoke right beyond the altar of incense, there was this large curtain separating the room. On this side was the holy place. On the other side of the, the curtain was the most holy place. That's where, they, they, that's where God dwelled. Um, so that, that, that smoke would rise and then go beyond that curtain symbolizing the people's prayers going into the presence of God, but it also represented the people's dependence on God, their submission to him and his sovereignty over them. So Zachariah is thinking that, oh, okay, at first I'm going to pray, then I'll offer the incense, I'll burn the incense. The third thing he would have to do is he would have to come back outside to all of these people, these people that gather during this time, these people who have been outside praying he would come back outside to them and he would do something that, that they had been waiting for, that they craved, that they yearned for. He, he would bless them. He would speak a blessing over them. It was called the blessing of Aaron. It actually comes from the Old Testament, from the book of Numbers. It, it goes like this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Those people outside who were praying, they, were, they would eagerly wait for this blessing, hoping that this blessing, as it is spoken over them, that it would bring them into the favor of God. As this blessing is spoken over them, that it would remind them of God's goodness in their lives. So Zechariah, he thinks of those steps, all those three things that he's gonna do. And then finally, the hour of incense comes. It's time for him to carry out this assignment. So, so he goes, he steps into the holy place, into the temple. He begins to pray. He begins to make his way towards the altar of incense. And it is here 
that he is about to realize that he did not receive this assignment by chance. He did not receive this assignment by luck, but it was a divine appointment arranged by God. Here's what happens next. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord, the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, for the Messiah. And do you recognize some of the words that are being used it's the promise that, was, that God gave at the end of the Old Testament. The, the angel, he's telling Zechariah, hey, this promise, it is gonna be carried out through you, through your wife, through this child that your wife will bear. Zechariah, he knows the scriptures, right? He's a priest. So the angel is telling him these things and Zechariah is probably trying to process it all, trying to comprehend what is happening, what this angel is telling him, what is going to happen. But Zechariah, he is only thinking about this circumstance that he's in, right? What's the circumstance that he's in? He, he's old. His wife is old. So he begins to respond to the angel with doubt. Here's what happens. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. How many of you wives wish this would happen to your husband? <laughs> Better not answer that, babe. Um, <laughs> This angel is giving Zechariah this message of hope, this message of blessing. And instead of being grateful, Zechariah, he responds with skepticism. And as a result, he receives that consequence of, of being silent. It's not that Zechariah didn't want to believe it. He certainly did. But, but he was thinking of the circumstance that he was in. He, he was probably thinking, man, this might be too good to be true. I've been disappointed. And that prayer, a prayer for a child, I have not been praying that prayer for years. I, I gave up on that prayer. He, he's thinking about the circumstance first, and he's thinking about what God can do last. While all of this is happening in the temple, as, as he speaks to this angel, Gabriel, imagine the people outside waiting, waiting for their blessing waiting for the priest to come back and, and speak the blessing of Aaron over them, wondering where he is. It shouldn't be taking this long. Here's what happens next. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. 
He's no longer able to speak that blessing over these people. But these people, they had no idea what they, are, they had in store. Something even greater was coming to them. But Zechariah, he finishes his time of service in Jerusalem. Then eventually it's time for him to travel back home, back to his wife. As he walks again that four and a half miles back home, he's probably trying to process everything that happened, everything that the angel Gabriel had told him, trying to make sense of it all, trying to figure out how in the world is he going to communicate it all to his wife? How is his wife going to respond? It's what the Bible says. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Elizabeth, she reacts with gratitude towards God, thankful for God answering a prayer that maybe she had given up on. And can you see her now in the bed sitting with her, her five-month baby bump? And maybe Zachariah, maybe now he's kneeling down next to his wife, not able to speak, but you can translate how he feels by the expression on his face. He is just beaming with joy. And maybe he's gently rubbing the baby bump now, his wife's belly, smiling. And maybe his wife, Elizabeth, continues to cry, but now they are tears of joy, tears of praise, tears of gratitude, each tear a reminder of God's faithfulness. Eventually, Elizabeth, she gives birth to a healthy baby boy. I bet that baby boy was loved beyond measure. When it was time to name the baby, Elizabeth said his name is John. His, her family, uh, the family surrounding her, the people surrounding her, they said, no way, you can't name him John. You got to name him after his father. The, the family name has to be carried on. So uh, they turned to Zachariah to see how he's going to respond to this. And here's what... He does. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Zechariah, he follows the commands Gabriel had given him. He names the boy John. Even though Zechariah had failed before, he had been given a second chance of faith. And now... <laughs> When he can speak again, the first words that he speaks are words of gratitude. The Bible says that Zechariah begins to sing a song to the Lord, that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins to praise God for all that is happening. He, he sings praises to God for what he's doing. And he, and he begins to speak about what this boy, what this baby boy John will do. In my mind, I, I can see Zachariah taking his baby boy in his arms. Maybe tears are streaming down his face. And for the first time since he can talk now, maybe he finally says that blessing of Aaron. Maybe he says that blessing over his baby boy. He whispers over his baby boy, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Declaring over this baby boy who he would grow up to be, the plan that was in store for him, the work that he would do to prepare 
people's hearts for Jesus and Jesus's ministry and everything that Jesus does because that boy, and maybe you already know this, that boy grows to be John the Baptist, a prophet promised by God in the Old Testament, a prophet who would prepare the people of Israel for Jesus, a man who would have the blessing the honor of baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River, a man who would remain faithful to God just like his parents until he is put to death. Something I also love about this story is the significance of the names. You know what the name Zechariah means? God remembers. You know what the name Elizabeth means? God's promise. You know what the name John means? God is Gracious. It's exactly what those people were gathered for at the temple, what they were waiting for, what they wanted Zechariah to speak over them, to bless them with. They wanted God to remember them, that God would keep his promise, that God would be gracious to them, that his favor would be upon them. That's why they were so eager for Zechariah to return, to speak that blessing. That's why they waited. They waited in the silence and they wanted it to end. They waited for it to be over. They were ready for God's face to shine upon them, for him to bless them with his grace and his peace. And maybe you've come today and you have that very same desire for God to remember you in the circumstance that you are in, uh, this unforeseen circumstance that you are facing, this, this hole that you're feeling that you want God to fill. In 1979, outside of Jerusalem, they were excavating a burial cave. Uh, they were in this cave, um, digging around and stuff, and eventually they find a, um, a secret burial chamber beneath it. So they're excited. They, they start looking through all this stuff. There's all these different objects that they find in that secret chamber. There's skeletons, there's gold, precious stones, uh, iron arrowheads, there's um, glass, there's pottery, all, all this different stuff. And amongst those objects, they find two tiny rolled up silver scrolls around one inch long each. They're known as Ketef Hinnom scrolls. You can look them up. There's a lot more history to them than I have time to share. But they begin to examine these scrolls that they find. They, they find out that these scrolls, they date back to 600 B.C., that predates the Dead Sea Scrolls. For any other Bible nerds out there like me, uh, this is pre-exile during the time of prophet Jeremiah. 600, before, 600 years before Zechariah would even be in the temple speaking to the angel Gabriel. They find these, these silver scrolls rolled up. I think we got a picture of them. That's them today in the museum in Jerusalem. Um, but they, they unroll these scrolls and, and they examine them further. They begin to realize that there's writing on them. Ancient Hebrew script. You want to know what one of those scrolls had written on it? May the Lord bless you. And keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you.
peace. The blessing of Aaron was written on one of those scrolls. The other one had a verse from Deuteronomy. Those scrolls, they were 99% silver, which silver has so, a lot of different meanings in the Bible. It represents a lot of different things, purity, uh, redemption, all these different things. But they were, rolled, they were made into amulets. Back then, people uh, would wear amulets on their forehead. They, they would wear it on maybe their arm. They'd wear it around their neck. They would wear them to remind them of God's good nature. They would wear them to remind them of God's love and care for his people. Someone was wearing that blessing, the, the blessing of Aaron to be reminded of God's grace and, and peace in their lives. My friends, God's promises, they do not change. God's blessing, <laughs> it remains from age to age and his faithfulness and his love for us, it endures forever. His love for us, it has been solidified. His love for us, it can be identified through Jesus Christ, his one and only son. We can look to the birth, to the life, to the death, to the resurrection of Jesus and know that God always remembers his promise of grace to us. You can look to Jesus and be assured that God, he is with you. No matter what circumstance you are facing, God, he is there with you. There is no curtain anymore. There is no separation because of Jesus. The presence of God dwells inside of us. Whatever you are facing, when, when you are in that pain, he is holding you like a baby, whispering over you, I, I am with you. When you are in the heartache, he is whispering over you, I, I am with you. When you are in the struggle, when you are in the tribulation, when you are in mistake after mistake after mistake, he is whispering over you, I am with you, I, I have you. He is whispering over you and declaring, just wait. I have plans for you. He is declaring the plans that he has, the purpose that he has for your life. So no matter what circumstance you face, God, he is with you. But we have to remember that, right? We, we have to remember you are not forgotten. You are not alone. You are not overlooked. For hope that endures forever, it is written in this book. The scriptures, his promises, we can remember. God, he has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He is calling you to trust him. He is calling you to not grow bitter while you wait, but instead to celebrate, to sing songs of praise to him because of Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ, God's promise of grace. It shall always remain no matter what. But we have to remind ourselves. We have to live in the reminder we have to remember that his blessing is always available to us. Remember the names. God remembers God's promise. God is gracious. No matter what circumstance we face, we have to remember the promises of God's grace. This grace that we receive because of Jesus. Through Jesus, we have been given a message of hope. Through Jesus, we have been given this message of blessing. Will you accept it? Will you receive it? Will you remember it? My, my son, David, is in third grade. 
Uh, he's just such a good kid. Uh, we're proud of him. We love him. Um, I, I take him to school every day. And, uh, you know, kids don't get enough credit for, for what they go through. They go to this place for, uh, what, six, eight hours a day. Um, even kids that are homeschooled, they, they got stuff going on. So in my mind, I, I want David to go into that school feeling loved, feeling protected, uh, feeling sure about himself. Um, so uh, as we're driving to school every day, I play worship songs in the car. Um, and I love hearing him sing those songs from the back seat, uh, which is great. And, and I didn't say this last service, but sometimes he'll say, man, this sounds like a song that Josh would sing at church. And I love that, that he has that connection. But I, I play those worship songs in the car on the way to school because I want him, as he leaves that car in the morning and he walks into that school building, I want the truth of God ringing in his ears so that no matter what he faces that day, he would remember God's graciousness for him. He would remember that Jesus loves him. We had a parent-teacher conference the other week. Um, his teacher loves him and, and, and said great things about him. <laughs> He's doing well academically. All, all this other good stuff is going on. But there's one thing that the teacher said that, that made me so happy. Oh my gosh. She said he sings all day long. He's constantly humming. So in my mind, he is humming those songs that maybe we listen to in the morning. Those songs that remind him that he serves a God, that he is in favor with the God, the creator of this universe. That that God, he is blessing him, he is keeping him. That that God, his face is shining upon my boy and being gracious to him. That God, his, his eyes, they are locked. They are centered on David Clark. Giving him peace, offering him peace. And, and that is my same prayer for you guys today. As you leave this place, whatever circumstance you're going back to, if you're watching online, whatever circumstance you are living in, that you will leave knowing the blessing of God, it is available to you. That God, he is whispering over you right now, wherever you sit, I am with you. Hold on. There's something so much greater coming, something you can't even imagine. Hold on, my purpose, my plan for you, it is perfect. Hold on, I am with you. And I connect with music. That's part of the reason I, I do this for David. I, I know he connects with music too. Maybe you do too. So I asked Josh if they would close with the song that, that maybe would continue to ring in your ears as you leave this room. A song that would continue to remind you the rest of this day, the rest of this week, maybe the rest of this month that God is for you. That his blessing, his message of hope, the, the grace of Jesus, it is available to you if you would receive it, if you would accept it. So I'm way over my time. If, if you would like prayer today, uh, we will be down here to pray with you. There's something going on in your life, something good, something bad, whatever. We'd love to pray with you. If you've come today and you'd like to be baptized, to give your life to Jesus, we will baptize you today. But if you'd stand now, I'd love to pray over you.
Heavenly Father, we come before you, God. We are so, oh my gosh, God. We are so grateful for all that you've done from the beginning of time to far into the future and to eternity, God. We are so grateful for all that you do. We were on your minds before you even set the foundation of this world. So we just pray today that as a church family that we would declare our submission to you and your sovereignty. And we are so grateful for your presence to be among us that no matter where we go, you are with us. No matter what circumstance we face, you are with us. And we thank you for keeping us, God, for blessing us. We thank you for allowing your face to shine upon us and being gracious to us. We, we thank you for turning your face towards us, for looking at us with admiration and love and offering us peace. And we thank you most of all for Jesus and what we receive because of his submission to you, God, because of his sacrifice. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wire podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and follow us on our social media platforms. That way you can stay up to date with what's happening here at Central. And as always, have a great week.